0: Chapter 9 of The World's Lumber Room by Selina Gay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9. What Becomes of the Dust, Coral Islands, etc. Sand and mud do not by any means represent all that is carried down into that universal receptacle, the great ocean, which is receiving fresh additions every moment of the day and night, and yet never gets over full the clearest of clear streams is as surely conveying something to it as the mud-laden river and as everything that water can dissolve reaches the sea at last sea water contains at least a trace of every soluble mineral and metal in the world roughly speaking however the average composition of a thousand grains of sea water is as follows water 962 sodium chloride Common salt, twenty seven point one, magnesium chloride, five point four, potassium chloride, not point four, bromide of magnesia, not point one, sulphate of magnesia, one point two, sulphate of lime, not point eight, carbonate of lime, not point one. This at first sight appears remarkable for it will be remembered that carbonate of lime, of which this analysis shows so small a proportion, is the mineral carried down in the largest quantities, at least by the European rivers, and that the chlorides, though they seldom fail altogether in any river or stream, are yet conveyed in comparatively minute quantities, except by a few small rivers which are especially rich in them. The sun, when he drinks, takes pure water, leaving salt lime and all else behind in the ocean what then becomes of the enormous quantity of carbonate of lime which the rhine rhone loire and thames to mention no others are continually pouring into it it is in the ocean still but it has changed its form or rather has again acquired a form and has once more become visible the rivers gather materials from all parts of the earth and their work is not for nothing they cater on land for the inhabitants of the sea and what they pour in is all wanted there and the reason why there is so little dissolved lime in sea-water is that it is required for so many purposes where for instance would the oyster get the material for its shells if the river did not supply its need for being rooted to its bed all it wants must be brought within its reach moreover the lime must be dissolved before it can be used the oyster would not be able to make anything of a lump of chalk or limestone for like all other shell-covered molluscs it has to swallow the materials of which its habitation is made these are secreted by a sort of transparent skin or membrane called the mantle which covers the body more or less and shapes and colours the shell according to its own peculiarities the rhine alone carries to the sea every year carbonate of lime enough according to bischoff to make the shells of three hundred and thirty two thousand five hundred and thirty nine million oysters and as it empties itself into the german ocean no doubt the oyster beds on the coast of kent are supplied with their house-building materials in part at least by its means materials which have been collected for the purpose far away in germany and switzerland oysters are full grown in about four years and it is said that in that time in order to obtain enough material ten of them must swallow from three hundred and forty five to five hundred and eighty seven pounds of sea water or from five point two to eight point nine cubic feet but this is supposing they would extract the whole of the lime and as that is unlikely they must actually swallow much more the artificial beds at whitstable and faversham in kent alone extend over nearly twenty-seven square miles and the natural oyster beds in America, some of them, cover a million acres. But it is quite beyond the power of figures to express the number of oysters contained in such beds, for it takes 1,600 to fill a bushel measure. One oyster might, it is said, have offspring enough to fill 12,000 barrels. Footnote, $5 million worth are annually consumed in New York alone. End of footnote. Numerous beyond counting, however, as are the oysters, mussels, whelks, and periwinkles, they are mentioned first not as being the chief consumers of lime, but because they are such familiar objects, to all Londoners at least, and they acquire fresh interest when it is remembered that every particle of the material for their shells was brought to them invisibly, perhaps from the alps perhaps from the english hills and downs and perhaps from countries far away shells are of two kinds some like the foreign cowries are hard and compact as porcelain while others like the oyster are formed in layers and are often covered with a skin but all consist chiefly of carbonate of lime and gelatine the hard sorts containing much less gelatin with varying proportions of sulphate of lime, phosphate of lime, carbonate of magnesia and iron. Pearls, which are secreted by some other bivalves as well as the oyster and mussel, consist also chiefly of carbonate of lime, and are, in fact, of the same composition as the mother of pearl forming the shell. This is arranged in concentric layers like the coats of an onion, round some minute particle of refuse, such as a grain of sand, which the animal has been unable to remove from its dwelling, and therefore covered up as the only way of diminishing the annoyance. It is needless to specify the various uses to which Mother of Pearl is put, from the making of shirt-buttons to the inlaying of papier-mâché, but whatever its quality and colour, its history is always much the same and so too is that of the shell cameos, though their texture differs from that of mother-of-pearl. Cameos are cut from univalves, shells formed all in one piece like the cowrie, limpet, periwinkle, etc., and consisting of three layers of calcareous matter, which in some are all of different colours. In 1875, three hundred persons were employed in paris in cutting cameos which are mounted as brooches in birmingham the largest existing shell is that of the tridacna having two valves some specimens of which measure five feet across and weigh five hundred pounds the South Sea Islanders used them for collecting rainwater, but they were formerly so rare in Europe that the Republic of Venice thought one valuable enough to be presented to Francis I, who gave it to the Church of Saint-Sulpice, where it may still be holding the holy water. The shells are more common now, and are often employed of all sizes for this purpose. One from Singapore was shown in the London International Fisheries exhibition in 1883, its weight was three hundred weights, three quarters fourteen pounds its length three feet four inches and its breadth two feet two inches in some parts of the arctic ocean the bed is covered with urchins or sea-eggs and these as well as the innumerable crabs lobsters crayfishes and many others all require lime for their shells or armour passing over these however we come to other animals which though individually much smaller yet take up far more space than any beds of oysters or other mollusks and in fact cover an area so vast as hardly to be estimated at all we mean of course the coral polyps coral insects as they are erroneously called in certain pieces of poetry they are however no more insects than the oysters And in spite of the same poetry, they cannot accurately be described as builders or architects, nor held up as examples of industry. No one thinks of speaking of the grass in the meadow as toiling to make hay, nor does one praise baby for his industry because he has grown since last year, and coral making is no more toilsome than bone making. What we call coral is, in fact, the animal's skeleton, not its house. The coral polyp, as the creature is called, in allusion to its many arms or rays, much resembles the garden aster in appearance, and is still more like the sea anemone, which indeed gives one a better idea of it than any description can do. Both animals consist of a disc and bag. The former, which is often brightly and beautifully coloured, is set round with fringed rays. These are in reality hollow tubes which close over all the prey brought within their reach and convey it to the mouth, which is placed in the centre of the disc the stomach being contained in the bag beneath thus far the anemone and the coral polyp are alike though the one may be many times larger than the other But if the anemone's bag were cut across, we should see that it was composed of several divisions, and it would present much the same appearance as an orange or lemon when similarly cut. In the anemone, as in the lemon, these partitions are formed by a skin or membrane, but in the coral polyp they are hard and solid, and consist of carbonate of lime. Some corals are, to all appearance, true sea anemones, their stony skeletons being so completely hidden as to be unsuspected by those not in the secret. But there are others which, instead of living singly as these do, grow together in groups of thousands and hundreds of thousands, each tiny individual having its own flower-like disc, mouth and stomach but being at the same time as closely united with the rest as the twig is with the tree footnote the red coral grows up in a sort of branched stem every branch being terminated by an open-mouthed polyp the skeleton which belongs to the whole colony in common is covered by a soft body by which it is deposited in the white coral besides the common skeleton there is a special one for each individual This is shaped like a cup and divided by radiating partitions, and the cups are united into a common branch. Huxley. End of footnote. The whole mass is indeed one, but fed by many mouths, and the various individuals bud and branch and grow in such a truly plant-like way that their name of zoophytes, animal plants, is most appropriate. In shape, They imitate almost every plant which grows on the land. There are branching trees from six to eight feet high, covered with starry, polyp-blossoms. There are shrubs of various shapes, tufts of imitation rushes, pinks, feathery mosses, broad leaves studded with daisy-like flowers, cacti, fungi and lichens, in endless variety of beauty some colonies grow in the shape of graceful vases which measure three or four feet across and are composed of sprigs and branches representing countless multitudes of individuals others again as astrea shape themselves by common consent into solid domes with a diameter of from ten to twenty feet which are scattered all over with stars of purple or emerald green these immense groups all spring from one germ and are so intimately connected that an injury to one individual is felt by all the rest which at once close their flowers yet a twig of coral may be broken off without being killed in two or three hours it will recover sufficiently to open out again and if placed in a suitable position will soon begin to sprout and grow after the family pattern It has not at present been possible to calculate the rate of growth with much certainty, but twenty corals planted on a sandbank east of Madagascar grew nearly three feet in height and several feet in length in the course of six or seven months, and the copper sheathing of a vessel which had spent twenty months in the Persian Gulf was covered with a hard crust of coral two feet in thickness. No doubt, however, the rate of growth varies in different species most of the bermuda corals resemble anemones or groups of anemones the stony skeleton being entirely concealed but in a few as the brain coral which grows in the shape of large domes it is only just coated with a film of yellow or greyish living matter like the bog mosses many of the coral polyps go on growing above while they die below and thus the large solid domes of astrea are quite dead within the living portion being confined to the surface and only half an inch thick or even less the great masses of coral rock called reefs which in some places extend for hundreds of miles along the coast and form natural breakwaters are composed only in part of living coral and consists chiefly of the consolidated debris of many kinds of coral and corallines, the shells of mollusks, and the tubes of many sea-worms. The Great Reef on the northeast of Australia is 1,200 miles long and 70 miles wide near the southern end, while that on the west of New Caledonia is 400 miles long. The Bell Rock Lighthouse in the German Ocean, though a 112 feet high, is often completely buried in foam and spray during a ground swell though there be no wind to lash the waves but the great rollers of the pacific are far heavier than any waves in the german ocean and during a storm they do as much damage in the coral groves as a gale does among the trees on shore sometimes especially where the reef has been weakened by boring mollusks masses twenty and thirty feet long are torn off many a coral tree is prostrated boughs and twigs are torn off and the polyps over a large surface destroyed the dead parts are however soon overgrown and protected by smaller encrusting corals and other zoophytes as well as by serpuli mollusks and lichen-like nullipores just as the dead trunk of a tree is overgrown with mosses etc there are deep-sea corals but the reef-making kinds do not flourish at a greater depth than from one hundred and twenty to one hundred and fifty feet and prefer being within reach of the light but where they may be either quite covered or constantly washed by the waves since a very short exposure to the sun kills them only two species however are able to stand the full violence of the breakers on the upper and outer edge of the reef and of these one grows in thick vertical plates while the other grows in masses from four to eight feet broad and nearly as thick these massive kinds actually thrive best where they are most exposed and are less perfect in sheltered spots where more delicate kinds flourish The largest number of species, however, are found where the heat is intense and the water calm, as in the Red Sea, which has some 120 varieties. No coral can live except in quite clear water, and as all rivers bring down more or less sediment, gaps usually occur in the reef opposite their mouths. Since reef corals cannot live below a certain depth, it is quite evident that they have not worked their way up from the bed of the ocean as used to be believed and the method in which the numerous coral islands or atolls which stud the pacific have been formed seems to be this in the first place the coral has grown upon the submerged rocky bed immediately surrounding some island and has gradually formed a fringing reef here it grows upwards until it gets too near the surface when it will cease growing in that direction and grow outwards instead the inner parts dying being broken into fragments ground up into sand and consolidated into a compact rock and fresh shoots constantly growing in their place as long as the island remains stationary the reef can do nothing but grow outwards but if the island should sink a little the sea will flow in and a channel will be formed between the island and the reef, which is now called a barrier reef. This, apparently, is what has taken place on the coast of Australia, where the channel between it and the reef is generally from five to fifteen, but in one part nearly a hundred miles wide. Footnote. Mr. Wallace tells us that the outer side of the Great Barrier Reef sinks two thousand feet, which shows how much the rock upon which the corals first grew must have subsided. End of footnote. But supposing that the land should continue to sink until nothing of it remains above water except, perhaps, what was once the top of some hill or mountain, and that after a while this too disappears, then nothing will remain to mark the spot where the island was but the reef which once encircled it for the coral will have continued to grow upwards as its foundation sank. Had there been a sudden plunge into the depths below, it would have been killed, but this slow, gentle subsidence, so far from being injurious, merely gives it the necessary room to grow, and the deeper the foundation sinks, the thicker the reef will be the whole of the pacific ocean is scattered with atolls or rings of coral some of them many leagues across and all larger or smaller are so many memorial stones marking the site of a buried island the reef is below water of course but its position is clearly marked by the line of snow-white breakers which are incessantly dashing themselves against it By their means, heaps of coral sand are gradually formed and piled upon the reef, forming little islets, which are heaped higher and higher, converted into dry land, and covered with vegetation. It is not often, however, that the whole atoll is raised above the water. Generally speaking, it is only here and there that it rises into an islet crowned with feathery cocoa-palms, the rest of its outline being marked by the snow-white breakers the Laccadives or lack of islands and the maldives or thousand islands are just a series of such atolls it has been suggested that as the bed of the ocean is not a plain but diversified by hills and even mountains and as enormous quantities of shells are constantly falling to the bottom some of these hills may be so heightened as to reach the point at which deep-sea corals annelids sponges mollusks etc can live after which they would increase more rapidly until they reached the zone of the reef corals which would grow upwards as long as they could and then outwards few animals indeed have left such vast and enduring monuments of themselves as these humble zoophytes but there are others which must not be passed over outside the harbour of pernambuco there is a reef of sandstone several miles long which is composed of grains of siliceous sand cemented together by carbonate of lime though exposed to all the violence of the great atlantic waves with their load of sand and sediment which are unceasingly driven against it by the trade wind the bar has lasted hundreds perhaps thousands of years thanks to a few inches of calcareous matter formed chiefly by the growth and decay of many generations of together with a few barnacles and some paper-like layers of a sort of sea lichen called nullipora the inner surface of the sand-bar which has no such protecting coat is visibly worn in spite of its sheltered position off the bermudas there are reefs which are mainly composed of these serpuli whose tubes one may often see on oyster-shells though this gives one no idea of their real beauty for when alive the little inhabitant waves a plume of brilliant coloured feathers its breathing apparatus from the door of its home the nullipora is one of the numerous sea-plants like the corallines which take up large quantities of carbonate of lime and though not hard as the latter are is very tough both grow in most luxuriant profusion among the bermuda reefs and are of great beauty as we know it the coralline with its hard jointed stems is either pale pink or lilac or more often bleached to the whiteness of bone by sun and wind but in the bermudas the prevailing colour is green which varies from a bluish to a grass-green tint with here and there a tuft of plum colour and white is rare one species of nullipore is of a brilliant peach colour and has thin stiff moss-like branches the tips only of which are alive and another grows in lichen-like sheets both plants take up so much lime that they are capable of forming masses of calcareous matter two or three feet thick by their successive growth and decay It had been supposed, until within the last few years, that the depths of the ocean were devoid of both animal and vegetable life, but the voyage of the challenger has shown that this is a mistake. Only an infinitesimal portion of the ocean floor, at depths over two thousand five hundred fathoms, or three miles, has even now been explored, we must remember, but so far as this has been done, animal life is found everywhere though it is less plentiful in extreme depths, while plants, though stragglers may be found here and there, are practically limited to depths under a hundred fathoms. Sponges exist everywhere, though less abundantly beyond a thousand fathoms, and one coral lives at all known depths. The whole of the Atlantic basin, to the depth of about 2,200 fathoms, is covered with an almost uniform greyish sediment, which to the naked eye appears like mud but as seen by the microscope consists of very minute shells and fragments of shells the upper surface of this ooze is of a creamy consistency and is made up chiefly of whole shells with fragments of sponge spicules and a considerable number of the larger shells of dead mollusks more or less broken and worn at all moderate depths sponges corals starfishes etc live in and upon this ooze the next inch or two below the surface is of firmer consistency the tiny shells being more or less broken up and cemented into a calcareous paste and beneath this again whole shells and even fragments are rare and the paste is almost uniform what thickness this sediment may have attained is unknown but in past ages hundreds of square miles have been covered to the depth in some places of a thousand feet or more by a deposit evidently also formed at the bottom of the ocean and bearing a very strong resemblance to the Atlantic ooze, which may fairly be called chalk mud, chalk which has not yet had time to harden into rock, but which, should it do so hereafter, will greatly resemble the chalk of the English downs and cliffs for that too consists mainly of microscopic shells which though almost or altogether invisible to the naked eye are of shapes as various and beautiful as any of the larger ones some of which they closely resemble the shells of these foraminifera though so minute that three million eight hundred thousand have been counted in an ounce of sand from the antilles are divided, like those of the nautilus, into chambers connected by minute openings from which they take their name. From Latin foramen a hole. The shells of some species are also perforated with innumerable tiny holes through which the inhabitant protrudes hair-like filaments of jelly. Though a few are found alive in the ooze, that is not their natural home, for they live on the surface of the ocean and if they are as numerous to the depth of a hundred fathoms as they are in the track of the tow-net, every square mile of the ocean must contain sixteen tons of carbonate of lime in the form of calcareous shells. These, as the inhabitants die, fall down in a constant rain, and accumulate on the ocean bed. In some cases, half the sand on the seashore is made up of them, and they have had a large share also in the formation of coral islands they are bound to such an extent in the limestone used for building in paris that that city as well as many towns and villages in the vicinity may be said to be in great part built of them they are also very numerous in the chalk which extends from paris to tours a distance of fifty miles one species alone has formed enormous beds in russia while the stone of the great pyramid is composed chiefly of others called nummulites from Latin, numulus, a small piece of money, which are the most highly organised of all the foraminifera, and are the giants of the race, being about the size and shape of a shilling. One band of nummulitic limestone, often eighteen hundred miles broad, and in many parts of enormous thickness, extends along the Mediterranean and through Western Asia to the north of India and China. But though occurring in large quantities in most limestone, Foraminifera do not usually form so large a proportion of it as they do of chalk, which may well be called foraminiferal limestone. Footnote. Shells of foraminifera may often be found in the sand which comes from a new piece of sponge. End of footnote. A slice of ordinary limestone, ground so thin as to be transparent, when examined by the microscope, shows that it is made up of all sorts of minute fragments bits of shell seaweed skeletons and coral with perhaps a few perfect microscopic shells as well it bears in fact a strong resemblance to the coral reef rock which contains on the whole but few perfect remains owing to the vigorous way in which it is pounded into sand by the waves though large mollusks and even the huge tridacna do sink or burrow their way into it and are preserved some of the great swiss mountains may be just parts of an ancient coral reef for though the jura is some thousands of feet thick it is but three-quarters of the length of the barrier reef now existing off the coast of australia and although at the present day coral does not grow anywhere north of the bermudas it evidently did so in the warmer seas of ancient times for many of our Devonshire and Bristol marbles are almost entirely composed of fossil corals. Though the name of marble is often inaccurately applied to any stone which will take a polish, it really belongs only to hardened limestones, many of which owe their beauty to the fossil remains which they enclose. Some consist almost entirely of seashells, others which occur only in small beds of small fresh-water snail-shells while another again is crowded with ammonites which somewhat resemble the modern nautilus and also with the internal shell or rather single bone which formed the skeleton of the ancient cuttlefish perhaps the most beautiful marble of all is that found in large quantities in derbyshire which is composed of the remains of encrinites or stone lilies a sort of stalked starfish having cup-shaped bodies and fringed rays with numerous joints which they could spread out to entrap their prey the stem was formed of innumerable small star-shaped pieces of hard carbonate of lime and was so pliant as to bend to and fro before the waves the upper part of one of these lilies is said to have consisted of nearly twenty-seven thousand separate joints deep beds of encrinital limestone have been formed of the skeletons of these lilies, which, though sometimes found almost entire, are generally broken into a thousand fragments. It had been thought that very few of these stone lilies now existed, but numerous specimens have lately been found as far north as Siberia. In ancient times, however, they were far more abundant, and in the north of Europe and America there are vast strata composed entirely of their remains. It is no mystery, therefore, what becomes of the mountains of lime which are carried into the ocean, where the innumerable hosts of mollusks, the still larger hosts of foraminifera and coral polyps, as well as the corallines and other sea-plants, are waiting for it. In the West Indian seas, where coral islands abound, it is disposed of so rapidly that the water contains less lime than elsewhere. And now as to the way in which these animal and vegetable remains may be converted into rock and marble. The first part of the process may be well observed in the Bermuda Islands, which are surrounded for twenty miles by fine coral sand which the waves have ground from the coral reefs some of this no doubt is washed into the cracks and crevices of the reef and helps to consolidate it and some may be redissolved but much of it is washed on shore dried by the wind and blown into hills forty or fifty feet high which are driven farther and farther inland and unless their progress is arrested by the planting of shrubs etc., often overwhelm both gardens and houses exposure to the air deprives the sand of the animal matter mixed with it and then like any other carbonate of lime it is readily dissolved by water and carbonic acid when rain falls therefore a little of the lime is taken up sinks with it through the sand and as the water evaporates is deposited as a cement which binds the loose grains together this process being constantly repeated at last converts the sand into rock of various degrees of hardness some being so compact as to be almost like marble and capable of taking a fair polish all the sand is not equally affected for the rain seems frequently to follow certain particular channels which it keeps open and hardens and this together with the fact that all the lime dissolved is not redeposited gives rise to the wonderful caverns already described whose contents have of course been carried back to the ocean thus the shells and skeletons of countless former generations are again converted into shells and skeletons by their modern descendants and representatives on the west of ascension island to take one of many similar instances the beaches are heaped with rounded fragments of shells, corals, etc., which, though loose on the surface, are, at the depth of a few feet, cemented into solid stone, some of which is actually too hard for building purposes and has the ring of flint. It contains very few perfect shells, but each rounded fragment may be distinctly seen to be surrounded by a husk of transparent carbonate of lime, and the stone is nearly as compact as marble which has been subjected to heat and pressure for this is the final stage in the process by which coral or shell-sand is crystallised at last into the sparkling marble much resembling loaf sugar which the sculptor uses for his statues not a trace of shell or other organic remains is now left and the stone is so fine-grained and snowy white that we could never guess its origin did we not in many instances actually see what has taken place for where ordinary limestone whose composition we can see has come in contact with a stream of lava all traces of its original structure have disappeared it has in fact been melted and on cooling down has become perfectly crystalline a little farther off the stone is hardened and partially crystallized and farther off still it remains unaltered being beyond the reach of the heat crystallization is a purifying as well as hardening process and the carrara marble which is sent from the apennines to all parts of the world is found in large masses of dazzling whiteness embedded in stone of a very dark color consisting of various impurities, such as animal and vegetable matter, particles of flint, etc., which have been driven to the surface by the process of crystallization. Part of this dark stone is usually left on the blocks of marble as a proof of its quality. The most highly transparent crystals of carbonate of lime are those known as Iceland's spar, which is as clear as glass and quite colorless some limestones such as those of westphalia contain a large amount of iron which though probably derived from seawater is more than could be separated from it either by animals or vegetables though both take up small quantities and it is to iron that red coral owes its colour the bulk of the limestone iron was however probably separated by a purely chemical process being deposited by the water in the place of a corresponding quantity of carbonate of lime so too with the magnesian limestones called dolomite which contain some of them more than thirty per cent of carbonate of magnesia while fresh coral contains hardly so much as one it has been suggested that as the ash of certain fresh-water plants contains a good deal of magnesia some dolomites may have been formed by them just as it is thought that some dark-coloured carbonaceous limestones may have been formed by the decay of different species of carer a lime-absorbing plant which grows in great profusion in some lakes of north germany but some dolomites are evidently of coral reef origin And since we know of no plant or animal which could have taken up magnesia in these large quantities we must conclude that it was deposited directly from the water wherever the depth of the atlantic exceeds two thousand two hundred fathoms there the calcareous ooze passes gradually into a very fine reddish or chocolate-colored clay derived apparently from cosmic and volcanic dust and the decay of pumice-stone which floats long distances before it becomes so waterlogged as to sink the clay contains a few foraminifera etc. but as these exist everywhere from the equator to the regions of polar ice and their shells must be falling in ceaseless showers all over the oceans one wonders what has become of them as well as of the shells of those mollusks which float about in multitudes in mid-atlantic the explanation seems to be that owing to the greater depth of water they have to sink through and the larger amount of carbonic acid present at great depths they are dissolved before they reach the bottom and the shells of the mollusks dissolve more quickly than those of the tiny foraminifera quickly however they none of them dissolve For the office of these and other marine animals is just this, to separate the lime from seawater and protect it from solution by combining it with organic matter. And they succeed so well that their calcareous structures dissolve with difficulty even in hydrochloric acid. End of chapter 9